Hello, everyone. As I watch everybody come onto screen, um, what I'm struck with is we call this populating the screen, and it feels like we're all populating our homes with everybody here. Um, so we'll begin today with our 10-minute uh, meditation, 10 to 12-minute meditation. Glad to see you all here. I'd like to offer some support uh, for our practice, our meditation practice today. It's what Ansi Klein calls the three supports for practice. And so you can take this or just let it go as whatever fits your wants and needs today. So we begin with just taking a few breaths. Becoming aware of feeling how your body is in contact with your seat or cushion. Feel the firmness of your seat, which is your external support. Sensing, physically sensing this contact brings you here into the present. Gift yourself by relaxing into this solidness, which is the first support. The solidness of your external support, as well as your capacity for sensing the contact. Now, let yourself be aware that this support comes to you from the very center of the universe, I'm sorry, of the earth, the very center of the earth, which is directly beneath you. No matter what the height of the building you are in, the earth is beneath you. Breathe and rest in this simple feeling of being held by Mother Earth. This feeling supports your ease and trust with things just as they are in this moment. With a breath, see if you can settle just a bit more. 
tensions in your belly and body can ease as well. Feel your exhalations. You're letting go of breath. Do this for several cycles of breathing. What do you notice in the letting go of breath? Now, slowly rock forward and back just a bit. And then side to side just a bit until you feel your sits bones in contact with your seat again. Feel how your whole skeletal structure is supported. Your upper body flowingly erect, each rib comfortably resting on the one below. Your midriff, shoulders, hands, all can be at ease. No need to do anything more. Sitting easily, you're held by your bones. The second support. You might give your bones a nod of appreciation. Drop your attention again to the Earth's center. Feeling how it is perfectly in line with your tailbone. Feel this alignment continue through your spine, your deep belly, your heart, your throat, and on up through your crown. Let your attention flow up and down this vertical corridor through the center of your body. This corridor is the third support. Now settled and maybe and hopefully a bit easier in every way. Let your breath fill your attention gently as we remain in silence for the next few minutes.
Let's recite the verse of the robe. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Welcome again, everyone. I'm Suzanne Kilkis. I'm the uh, entrusted and resident teacher here in Madison, Wisconsin for the Open Door Zen community. And uh, I'm feeling really grateful for being able to be with all of you today. Um, my heart started racing a little bit with that thought. I've been thinking about practice, about liberation, about freedom, about what our teachers say that practice is for, about being with ourselves and each other in the most difficult circumstances. In other words, I guess I've been thinking about life a lot. Uh, the last three months have been a bit difficult here with some medical crises that took my husband into the hospital three different times. And navigating all of that certainly has presented an, um, a, a, a challenge to practice that I didn't experience um, or haven't experienced for a long time. So these things have been on my mind for a while. A few inquiries ago, when Flint returned from his month in Texas, attending to his family needs, he said he thought he needed to be encouraging. I thought that was kind of interesting. But then he pointed to two chapters in Joko Beck's book, Nothing Special, Living Zen. The two chapters were The Promise That Is Never Kept and The Talk No One Wants to Hear. The titles themselves don't sound very encouraging. He encouraged us, though, to read them or reread them, whichever is the case. I did do that. And on the face of things, they didn't sound or start out very encouraging. In fact, Joko, in her direct, no-nonsense way, said that what she had to say wouldn't feel very good to many of us as we embark on this practice path or at any time along the way, because essentially we come with delusions, which certainly can continue, about what practice will do for us. It reminded me of a time a number of years ago. I had practiced for many years before I realized I had a very hidden agenda that practice would be a protector from bad things happening. A medical crisis that nearly led to my husband's death burst that bubble. And I, I'm guessing that many of you recognize something like that for you as well. Of course, there are many reasons for practice. 
our teachers give us abundant guidance. And actually, it's rather humorous to be reading or studying and to come upon another, this is the reason for practice statement. I'm going to offer a few here from Blanche Hartman and Joko Beck, two primary contemporary teachers in our lineage, and two teachers who are very important to both Flint and Peg. From Blanche in her book, Seeds for a Boundless Life, which is a wonderful book if you haven't read it. She says, the whole point of Dharma practice is to live our lives in a way that benefits all beings. We aspire to liberation, not for any self-centered idea, but so that we can know more clearly how to be of maximum benefit. From Joko uh, and her nothing special, it, she, gives, she has a very different tone and approach here. She says, practice has to be a process of endless disappointment. We have to see that everything we demand and even get eventually disappoints us. This discovery is our teacher. When I read that, I had to go, whoa, we don't like to think that this path is going to be full of disappointments. So I went on from Blanche again. Our important work is to remain aware of our intrinsic connection with all beings and to continuously cultivate our capacity for the beneficial mental states of the four Brahma Viharas, the loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity. How we live this precious life is the most important point. And now back to Joko. I'll preface what um, comes from her with this. She offers that there are basically two viewpoints to consider. The first one, my desires being fulfilled. And the second one, being of service to all beings. She suggests practices about moving from the first viewpoint to the second one. We discover we are not the center of life, which I think is a leap no less significant than the discovery that the earth was not the center of the universe. She says, the real point of practice is to serve life as fully and fruitfully as we can. Practice so life can get bigger and we can take care of more things, more things than ourselves and more people. I love reading and taking these guides in. And then I wonder how, how do I bring them to life in my life? What actions do I take? What do I do? How will it look? How do I want to be in even the most difficult times and still be happy and bring happiness to others? How can joy be part of anything difficult? What is the perspective needed in order to follow such excellent guidance? I know those are a lot of questions, but I'm guessing that none of them 
are new to any of you. You've probably asked them in a whole variety of forms at different times. As often happens, help came along in the form of a story, a piece from Stephen and Andrea Levine's book, Who Dies? An Investigation of Conscious Living and Conscious Dying. I want to read it to you. Some of you may recognize it. It gives a perspective that requires a capacity and ability to see deeply into life. It might even rattle our nervous systems a bit. It's titled, The Glass is Already Broken. Here's the story. Once, someone asked a well-known Thai meditation master, in this world where everything changes, where nothing remains the same, where loss and grief are inherent in our very coming into existence, how can there be any happiness? How can we find security when we see that we can't count on anything being the way we want it to be? The teacher, looking compassionately at this fellow, held up a drinking glass that had been given to him earlier in the morning and said, you see this goblet? For me, this glass is already broken. I enjoy it. I drink out of it. It holds my water admirably, sometimes even reflecting the sun in beautiful patterns through it. If I should tap it, it has a lovely ring to it. But when I put this glass on a shelf and the wind knocks it over, or my elbow brushes it off the table and it falls to the ground and shatters, I say, of course. When I understand that this glass is already broken, Every moment with it is precious. Every moment is just as it is, and nothing need be otherwise. Hmm. I read that story and had to pause because I suspect I knew where the Levines were leading to. So here's what they said. When we recognize that just like the glass, our body is already broken, that indeed we are already dead, then life becomes precious and we open to it just as it is in the moment it is occurring. When we understand that all our loved ones are already dead, our children, our mates, our friends, how precious they become how little fear can interpose, how little doubt can estrange us. When you live your life as though you're already dead, life takes on a new meaning. Each moment becomes a whole lifetime, a universe unto itself. When we realize we are already dead, our priorities change, our hearts open and our mind becomes begins to clear the fog of old holdings and pretendings. We watch all life in transit, and what matters becomes instantly apparent. The transmission of love, the letting go of obstacles to understanding, the relinquishment of our grasping, of our hiding from ourselves. Seeing the mercilessness of our self-strangulation 
we begin to come gently into the light. We share with all beings. If we take each teaching, each loss, each gain, each fear, each joy as it arises and experience it fully, life becomes workable. We are no longer a victim of life. And then every experience, even the loss of our dearest ones, becomes another opportunity for awakening. If our only spiritual practice were to live as though we were already dead, relating to all we meet, to all we do, as though it were our final moments in the world, what time would there be for old games or falsehoods or posturing? If we live our life as though we were already dead, as though our children were already dead, how much time would there be for self-protection and the recreation of ancient mirages? Only love would be appropriate. Only the truth. I think that warrants a bell. I want to make some comments about this piece. The first one is about the questions concerning happiness and security asked of the master. Joko's chapter, The Promise That Is Never Kept, address these questions reflecting the delusions we come with or we continue to hold about how Zan Zen will change our lives, will solve our problems, will protect us from life's adversities. Then in the chapter, the talk no one wants to hear, she dispels our illusions in the same way the glass falls and shatters. Something happens, we're caught off guard, and now what? I'm not making light here about the awful, horrible things that can and do happen. They're happening in the world right now. Life experiences can and do shatter us. They do break our hearts. They mess deeply with our minds. I think this is the reason for Joko's chapter. This is what practice is about. In retreat, Flint has said to us that we are here to practice together, not to retreat from the world but so we can face the world off the cushion. And it's best to face it together. I recently listened to an interview with Suleika Juad, the writer and artist. Her book, Between Two Kingdoms, was written in her 20s after recovery from her first experience of leukemia. She had a recurrence 10 years later she is in recovery again and acknowledges she is living on the edge every day of life and the possibility of a third reoccurrence, which could mean an early death for her. Getting through the recent treatment and learning that she will be in an extended treatment indefinitely, her doctor told her she should live every day as if it were her last. As a young woman, she's now in her mid-30s, she thought about this for quite a while and decided it was really a bad idea for her. That all manner of bad choices could come out of holding this as 
her last day or our last day. She decided to live as if each day is her first, to bring curiosity and wonder to everything she meets, to treat herself and loved ones with kindness as that is the future, love, not regrets, she wants to have with them. I think this is brilliant. Her glass shattered and she and her partner, John Batiste, a brilliant jazz musician, have laid out their daily path with curiosity, wonder, awe, and creativity. To close, I'll read the epigraph of Blanche's book. I read it often. I find solace in it, even though in my moments of delusion, I don't want to hear it. And I re realize it's okay. Here's what she says. If we're open to embracing the surprises as they arise, then there will be inconceivable joy. If we fuss and fume and say, this isn't what I expected, then there will be inconceivable misery. Just to welcome your life it is as, just to welcome your life as it arrives moment after moment to meet it as fully as you can, being as open to it as you can, and meeting it wholeheartedly, this is renunciation. This is leaving behind all of your preferences, all of your ideas and notions and schemes, just meeting life as it is. I'm happy to meet you here in this space. Please come forward with your thoughts or questions. In my experience, so much wonderful teaching comes from these meetings. I so appreciate when people step up, step up with their voice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hello, Suzanne. Hello, Karen. Hi. That was a very beautiful talk. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to meet you, really. I don't have a particular question. Um, I I was very moved to hear you didn't go into detail about your husband, and I have no idea how he is now. Mm -hmm. I'm just really sorry to hear that you've mm -hmm. both been through a very difficult time. Mm -hmm. um, I... I yeah, I my husband is um quite a lot older than me. He's 78. Um and whilst he's relatively well and healthy, I've for the past few months I've really engaged with the idea of him not being here. Mm. And uh <clears throat> once or twice I've felt I've almost kind of grieved he's been away. He's he's kind of gone to visit like his daughter for a few days, and I noticed that I I I felt a huge sense of missing him, and I I really got in touch with the idea of him, you know, not being around. So it's an edge which is, uh, you know, I could easily, very easily, and willingly not go there. Mm -hmm. And yet I feel myself 
um yeah just just experiencing that sense of 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 grief mm -hmm. i have no idea of course what the future holds none of us do and um but anyway i just wanted to um thank you for your talk thank you thank you for saying this karen my husband is doing so much better actually last week seemed to be the the corner that he needed to turn mm -hmm. um what you're talking about i experienced a fair number of days because he had three hospitalizations through this three-month period one of them for 11 days mm -hmm. and and at one point the medication he was on caused him to lose his mind um didn't know where he was what he was about what was going on it was very frightening for both of us yeah. and i too decided that i needed to spend some of this time although i have no idea if that's what this is going to be like but imagining oh if he was not here permanently yeah and i that that brought up that brought up um imagining that for any of my adult children any of my four grandchildren um and it really clutched my heart and then i decided it was just best if i stayed with it and just you know as we come to learn in practice everything comes and goes everything that arises passes away yeah. and it did but it really made my time with them with him much more precious mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah so i'm so glad you brought that up mm, thank you yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah on one of the occasions so it's happened quite sort of powerfully twice mm -hmm. and on one of them I found myself for the first time in many years um turning towards food as a as a way to kind of push those feelings away and I was kind of consciously doing it yeah and I thought that was so interesting um, yeah yeah and then the next time it happened I yeah I just tried to stay with it and and like you say it you know, it did pass, um, yes. but yes. it does make my time with him when we spend time together just doing really ordinary things. Mm -hmm. I find myself just really appreciating it very mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't want to leave the impression that I, if this was really easy and I could just go right there. <laughs> no, I don't have that sense. No, no, no. I wasn't <laughs> suggesting that. Comfort is so important. And, and when we recognize what we're doing for comfort and we can ask, is this a really good idea? Is there something else we need to do for comfort? But we do need comfort at those times. No question yeah. about it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. Very Thank good you. to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you too. Mm -hmm. Sheila. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I still. Okay. No, you're good. Hello. Hello. To both Suzanne and Karen for sharing that experience mm -hmm. with their most intimate husbands. Um, my brother and I are both at the facility here in assisted living. I came with him. I've been, you know, older sister, little mother, taking care of him for several years, a little bit, but um, now he's more independent. Uh, and both of us are pretty independent. 
at least the assisted living takes care of us. But I have wanted, he's very introverted and he was a music librarian and he likes to read all the time and he doesn't like to talk with anybody. He doesn't like to talk, I think, but he's so extremely introverted and he sits at the bar in one of the dining rooms alone. Nobody else sits at the bar but he. And um, so we've been here three years. Neither of us are married. Neither of us have children. We have some distant cousins that we love. I, I'm sure he also loves them. And I'm grateful for that. But it's, for me, I'm outgoing and not introverted like he is. And I would just love to talk with him more and be with him. And so after three years, I decided, okay, I'm going to experiment with sitting by him at the bar, uninvited, and just not say a word, not interrupt his reading, not try not to intrude on his space, even by saying, please pass the pepper or anything, <laughs> you know, and so... That's been exciting, but scary for four or five experimental days sitting by him. And one of my resident friends who's so dear, and she reared a Down syndrome daughter. And the other daughter now she's felt close to and reported to that daughter all the time about her health. And she began to sense that that daughter maybe didn't like that much reporting. And so she asked the daughter if she'd rather her not do it. And the daughter said yes. And so that my friend backed off and hasn't contacted her daughter for a couple of months. And she suggested to me that I should possibly or could possibly, I don't think she said should, it was just a suggestion that I could ask Michael if he'd rather I not sit by him. <sighs> <laughs> brings up something for you huh it's a challenge because i i did want to use i did want to say it in that format mm -hmm. would you rather i not so he could easily say yes instead of she wanted me to write him a letter and ask him if he was uncomfortable with it or something mm -hmm. and i didn't want him to have to say i am uncomfortable with it or don't sit by me anymore mm -hmm. <laughs> and so one day, I, we came out of the rooms at the same time. We're not far down the hall. And so I took the opportunity to say, Michael, would you rather I not sit by you? And he said, yes. <laughs> and so, you know, that was a hard knock. And I've dealt with a kind of grief, not like y'all have or concern like y'all have had about your husband's eventually being gone mm -hmm. because I mean my brother loves me and I know that and I love him mm -hmm. and I know he probably just didn't want his big sister sitting by him mm -hmm. you know just because it looks like he needs me or something and, mm -hmm. and so I certainly respect that mm -hmm. but I feel the emptiness the missing and I loved your talk about Joe, Joe, Joko and um, 
You don't tell me, uh, but do tell me. <laughs> well, Blanche, Blanche and Joko? Blanche, Blanche and Joko, yeah. And the idea of not this is not really not thinking this is the last day I might live, but this is the first day. Oh, Suleika, yes. I love that. I love Isn't that, that wonderful? Because I'm a real curious person uh -huh. and really loving new experiences and the people that are here that don't mind me sitting by them and rotating around. Mm -hmm. I, I used to sit in one place in front of the kitchen and it was so noisy I couldn't stand the noise. Mm -hmm. So now with my brother kind of emphasizing his withdrawal, his preference, yeah. and respecting that's the way he is, uh, and rotating with all these other people. <laughs> it's just been a new day every day, you know, a new beginning, mm -hmm. first day. Mm -hmm. And there's some other things that have contributed synchronistically, you know, those uh, women poets that write the nature poetry. Yeah. Wonderful Rosemary Warhol with Trauma. Yeah. And Mary Oliver, y'all know those two. Yes. John, I hope you will look into them because they are so wonderful mm -hmm. to read every night before I go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And also love poems from God, which are mystic mm -hmm. people from the past. Mm -hmm. And those are my readings every night before I go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And and that has also brought in it being a new day every day. And why mm -hmm. I wake every morning is one of the books. Mm -hmm. I wake early every morning that mm -hmm. Mary Oliver's attitude of curiosity and mm -hmm. noticing and being aware and what's new today. Anyway, mm -hmm. thank you, Suzanne. And thank you, Karen. And I saw Karen put her hand over her mouth when I did that at the, we just accidentally both when we were listening to you I, and I felt in tune with her when mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about her husband. Or what mm -hmm. was going on with her mm -hmm. but, but that kind of synchronicity and mm -hmm. connectivity is just amazing mm -hmm. so i won't share with y'all a little too long well thank you sheila what i'm really appreciating is the trajectory of your story where you started in one place you decided well, maybe i'll do this action you did that action then you were guided another way and you tried, you did that, and then you found out a really important piece of information. Thank you very much. Yeah, that, uh, thank, thank you for that. that that's so you. beautiful. Thank yeah, thank you. Dean. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Hello, Dean. Hello. Thank you for your talk. It's a bit frightening to come in front today, but I was so moved by what you said because of the example of the, the story of the glass. Mm -hmm. I have been always so frightened by impermanence mm -hmm. that when I have a glass, with water inside and there is only a little bit of water inside at the end I can't drink it because after it will be finished 
And I was almost jealous when I heard you saying how it could bring happiness to enjoy this broken glass. And I, I thought, but I can't do that. And it was a very strong and sad feeling. And what I understood, and that's why I wanted to come in front to talk to you, is how I withdraw not only from the half empty glass, but maybe also from people, because if they are not completely intimate people, then I prefer to stay away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is a, a really a, an awareness that came listening to, to your talk. Mm -hmm. And I am very thankful for that, even if not very comfortable just now. Mm -hmm. oh, well, thank you for coming forward, Claudine, because to speak of our discomfort is as important as anything else. And we can get embarrassed about our discomfort or even even go as far as being shamed by, by it. But the truth is, and one of the pieces, one of the things that Joko says at the end of the chapter about the, the um, talk nobody wants to hear is that the truth is none of us are ever going to be free from our delusions. There's too many of them. It's about well, you know, the message that I get from so many teachers is it's about being with them. It's about recognizing them that, oh, this may not be true. Maybe something else could be attended to here. I did not easily bring that story of the broken glass into what I offered today because I thought, uh-oh, this requires a shift of considering something that it's not all that comfortable to think about. Even if we go, I'm comfortable with the thought of my dying, but to think of my loved ones, I mean, that's the, that's the fourth remembrance of the five remembrances. And it's not at all palatable at times. And it can be something like water in a glass, or something like our loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that if, a, if there is a shift that is possible, I, I understand that it, it is worth taking the risk of opening, even if it is unpermanent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Claudine. Again, I just tell a little story. A friend of ours gave us a set of four very beautiful glasses. We're down to one of them because they've been on the cupboard and we've knocked them over. And the last, the, the last one that was broken, I was away from home and my husband, um, when I got home and I went to reach for a glass and it wasn't there and he went, oh, it fell and it broke. And my heart broke. I thought, I have only one more of those beautiful glasses left. Um, 
But when I read this story, I thought there's going to come a point where I won't have any more of those glasses left. <laughs> and uh, that's, I guess that's the point of impermanence. Mm. Things come and go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Coming forward. Thank you all. Mm -hmm. I want to say I saw a quick note um, in the chat for me that somebody said um, what they were dealing with was too raw. I recognize that, that this talking about these sorts of things can trigger um, the, the rawness of heart, broken heartedness. And there's no reason to step forward with that at all. I just want to say that um, you are being held here and you do not have to speak the rawness um, to be able to know that you are being held here. Uh, and so my heart is here with you. Hello, Pam. Hi, Suzanne. How are you? Good to see you. I'm well. Good. Good. Mm -hmm. Well, I do have some rawness, but I think I can do this okay. Um, being kind of a practical person, um, it works better, I found in my life to um, to not get, um, I'll keep forgetting the, this word, um, sideswiped as well, <laughs> have in mind, but it's, that's not the word. But anyway, caught off guard mm -hmm. by um, having someone die without me being able to, um, do what I'd like to do beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, so my sister has been sick for a long time. She's had a very difficult life from, at least from the time that she was born. Um, and uh, there are a number of things that could have taken her life through the years. And, and my first hope for her was that she'd be able to live long enough to see her youngest graduate from high school, which she did. Mm -hmm. um, she passed away a couple weeks ago when we had the funeral over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And um, besides having a difficult life, she was also a little challenging herself to have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. So um, the gratitude that I have with um, both seeing it coming, although not knowing any idea when, mm -hmm. but seeing it coming and learning so much here on how to sit with those things and how to sit both with um, the fact that it's coming mm -hmm. and I don't know when that um, I was able to prepare. I was able to walk through the challenges that I have had with her and um, see how people here have worked in relationships that have been challenging for them mm -hmm. to a point that when I was back with family in October, I said to both of my siblings um, that 
um, that we didn't know how long we had with her. And I, I was absolutely going to do everything that I could to have time with her. Mm -hmm. um, um, they did both do that. And they, there were, there were uncomfortable things that were going on at the time. And so they were able to do that. So, um, everyone in our close, our immediate family was able to write things before she passed. And, um, um, two of us spoke at her funeral and, um, also got to hear from others that were close to her. Two of her children were able to speak, which was just an incredible thing. Um, and to see the people there who, um, who are just so brokenhearted by this. But what I've learned in the last few years on how to just walk through this and not have it drag me all over I am just so 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 grateful for I can't even say mm -hmm. um, and part of that journey has been learning from you mm -hmm. so I want to thank you and everyone else here that I've learned from um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming forward Pam I'm sorry to hear of your loss and I'm so aware of how you're describing your being with yourself, your being with your family, your being with your sister in the face of all the truth of all of that. Mm -hmm. And that you could offer what you did to your family. What a gift. What a gift to all of them. And I'm seeing people on my screen nod about that. Because there are. I've worked with a lot of people who had a lot of regrets about not being able to do or say or act toward their loved ones that have died before they died. And that gift that you gave everybody, that's, that's invaluable, Pam. And thank you for telling all of us this story. It feels like a gift to me that came through. Yeah. We can understand that. Thank you so much, Pam. Mm -hmm. I think we have time for one more, what Flint calls the lightning round, I guess. If people want that, otherwise we can sit in silence. Here's Becky. Mm -hmm. Hello, Becky. So what I've been thinking about as people have been talking and so on is, you know, there's, there's the teachings that have to do with our being able to let go. And they're the ones that also give us a way of looking at things that we can hold both. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, as Pam was talking, well, actually, throughout several things that people talked about, I just felt like I wanted to sing a song. All right. All right. And what song do you want to sing us? No coming, no going, 
no after, no before. I hold you close to me. I release you to be so free. For you are in me and I am in you. For you are in me and I am in you. Thank you, Becky. A beautiful Thich Nhat Hanh song. Thank you. And for all the people that I love, mm -hmm. uh, I, I am, it's much easier for me to hold them than it is the glass. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right. Wonderful. Okay. So given what we've talked about here today, I think reciting the refuges is in order so we know that we're always held i take refuge in buddha i take refuge in dharma i take refuge in sangha we take refuge in buddha before all being immersing body and mind deeply in the way awakening true mind we take refuge in dharma before all being Entering deeply the merciful ocean of Buddha's way, we take refuge in Sangha before all being, bringing harmony to everyone free from hindrance. Now I completely taken refuge in Buddha. All being has completely taken refuge in Dharma. All being has completely taken refuge in Sangha. All right, thank you everyone. Thanks for all of you who came forward and all of you who have thoughts and are offering to each other. So I'll turn it back over to Jessica, our monitor now. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Apamata and Open Doors programs and facilities are um, supported through your generosity. Thank you for all that you do to support our communities. I'll place a link to Apamata and to Open Door in the chat. And please feel free to make a contribution if you can. And now we um, invite you to stay afterwards if you can and have a chat with Maria. Fireside chat. <laughs> Sounds better than porch today. <laughs> yeah, something warm and cozy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Bye, everyone. Bye, thank you.